and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The third hour of the program. The phone number, if you want to be a part of it, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I have tried to a degree, as best I can, based on the flow of news, to set aside all of the raw politics that's out there that everybody covers and focus on the other big news that sometimes gets left. I mean, obviously, the 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 trucker situation had to be addressed. Uh, the Sarah Palin story, though, don't know that it's getting as, as a lot of fair, honest coverage, among other things. But we've got to get into some raw politics here. Now, it's important. Civics is a polling firm. It leans to the left. And it has bad news for the Democrats. There are four states where Joe Biden's favorable rating is higher than his unfavorable rating. In only four states in the nation is Joe Biden's approval rating Above the waterline. One of those states is not Delaware, his home state. In Delaware, it's 36% approved, 53% disapproved. In Delaware, his home state, the state he goes to all the time, he's underwater. His best approval is in Vermont, 50% approved, 39% disapproved. Hawaii is number two, 49% approved, 41% disapproved. Massachusetts is number three, 48% approved, 40% disapproved. Maryland, it's 45% approved, 43% disapproved. In every other state, he's really underwater. Now, in particular, let's run through some of the Senate swing states. In Arizona, 61% disapprove. In Colorado, 53% disapprove. In Georgia, 58% disapprove. In Michigan, 58% disapprove. In Missouri, 65% disapprove. In New Hampshire, 52% disapprove. In Nevada, 58% disapprove. In North Carolina, 57% disapprove. In Pennsylvania, 55% disapprove. In Ohio, 60% disapprove. Those are the major swing states. And it's brutal. His highest disapproval rating... I'm looking at the chart, comes from Wyoming, 76% disapprove. That's it. I mean, that's brutal. In every single swing state where the Democrats need to hold the race, need to hold the seat to keep the Senate or pick up a seat, it's brutal. In Wisconsin, it's 55% disapprove. Ron Johnson going to run for re-election there. Pennsylvania, it's 55% disapprove. You got an open seat, Pat Toomey retiring. The Republicans need to hold it. In Nevada, 
You've got the entirety of the Republican establishment and the Trump supporters and all aligned around Adam Laxalt, one of the best candidates to run for the Senate in Nevada for the GOP in a very long time. And Biden is underwater 58% to 35%. In Georgia, where Raphael Warnock is serving a two-year finish for Johnny Isaacson's seat, He's trying to get a full term of six years. Biden's disapproval is at 58%. And in Arizona, where Mark Kelly wants to hold off a bunch of Republicans, the disapproval is at 61%. In Delaware, again, 53% disapproved. Now, this is a Democratic-leaning firm, uh, and it was probably an online survey, but it's pretty consistent even if the numbers may be overstated based on being an uh, an online survey. But that is why here in the middle of February, the Democrats are already at 30 vacancies in the House of Representatives. Kathleen Rice of New York retiring. In 2010, it was very obvious the Republicans were going to take back Congress. Nancy Pelosi was going on television like she is now saying, no, we're looking at the future. It's not going to happen. There are lots of favorables in our favor. Barack Obama was unpopular, but not as unpopular as Joe Biden. And by May, the Democrats got to 30. We're already at 30 in the middle of February. It took until May to get to 30 for the Democrats in 2010. Ultimately, it wound up being 35 Democratic retirements, but that didn't happen until July. Things are problematic for the Democrats. You've got thus far 30 Democrats leaving the House. Democrats on defense now in the Senate. Joe Biden is underwater in all but four states, including underwater in his home state. And now they've reached the gimmick phase. When campaigns reach the gimmick phase, you know they're struggling. White House and congressional Democrats eye a federal gas tax holiday as prices remain high and the election looms. That's the headline in the New York Post. Subtitle, the White House and Democrats have struggled to address public frustration over inflation and gas prices have been one of the biggest issues. The White House and top Democratic lawmakers are beginning to weigh a new push for a federal gas tax holiday, potentially pausing fees at the pump as part of a broader campaign to combat rising prices. The early deliberations come days after a group of vulnerable Senate Democrats introduced a bill that would suspend the gas tax of roughly 18 cents per gallon for the rest of the year, which party lawmakers are expected to discuss at a lunch Tuesday. Asked about the proposal, the White House signaled that all options are on the table as the administration tries to ease the growing financial burdens facing Americans during a period of high inflation. For now... The White House has not offered any official explicit endorsement of the policy. Behind the scenes, top aides have debated whether it would provide meaningful relief or ultimately serve to benefit the producers of gas. Some senior officials also fear the policy might be difficult to end later, since no politician would want to be seen as raising prices, according to two people familiar with the matter. But their efforts have grown more urgent as the cost of gasoline has spiked. A lot of Democrats behind the scenes are deeply critical. The Treasury Department is deeply critical. 
Joe Manchin said he was not comfortable with the fact a gas tax holiday could leave federal highway funds in worse shape. You see, here's part of the problem. The gas tax is always earmarked for infrastructure. They just passed their infrastructure bill that would in large part be funded by the gas tax, and now they want to suspend the gas tax, and it would suspend the economic improvements and investments within the infrastructure bill. They don't really have a good way out of this. It's not going well. They're looking for gimmicks and that reeks of desperation. And so now what they're trying to do is sow doubt among the Republicans. You know, back in 20, uh, 2021, last year in Georgia, Republicans talked themselves out of victory. Republicans talked themselves out of winning in the runoff. The Republicans in Georgia handed the Senate to the Democrats, and it was the Republicans who did it. 427,205 Republicans who voted in the general election sat home. There were only 700,000 total people who voted in the general who sat home, and John Ossoff only won by about 90,000 votes against David Perdue. The Republicans talked themselves out of winning. And Democrats took advantage of it, and around the state of Georgia, they put up billboards that said, don't bother voting again, they're going to steal it anyway. And it worked. Played right into the Republican messaging that Donald Trump was using, Marjorie Taylor Greene was using, uh, David Schaefer, the chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia, was using all of them. Like, that's going to be stolen. It was stolen. November was stolen. And the Republicans talked themselves out of voting. So now Democrats, they saw that in 2021, and they're trying again. Uh, there's a school board race. It's either in Kentucky or Ohio. I saw the picture this weekend of a woman, a, a faceless woman, holding up a, a um, mail piece with two Republican candidates for a local school board. And it says, put more whites on the school board. Support white nationalism with these two candidates. Everybody, including the local media, knows it is a Democratic stunt designed to incite and divide and play the race card. Every single person knows it, but the Democrats are trying it. The local media wouldn't give it a lot of credible coverage. Only Democratic trolls online were giving it a lot of credibility. They're up to dirty tricks, and it's not going to work either. In fact, how bad is it? One in four American Democrats say their own party failed to make use of its power. They say, one in four of them, their party didn't take advantage of their grip on the White House and Congress last year. The findings echo concerns raised by moderate Democratic members of Congress whose seats the party will have to defend in November if it wants to keep the majority. They said the party has paid too much attention to its failures and not enough to successes like the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. The poll found 28% of Democrats said their party was unable to get things done last year because they were too busy fighting each other or lacked resolve. 47% blamed Republicans for blocking Democrat efforts, and only 25% said the party had been able to accomplish most of its goals. The findings illustrate a dissatisfaction among Democratic voters. Some 55% of Democrats said they were certain to vote in November, lower than the 59% of Republicans. The Democrats are doing what the Republicans did. They are suppressing their own voters. You can't blame the Democratic base for being demoralized. They control everything. It's Leader Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, President Biden. And they can't get Jack done. They can't get anything done. 
They're fighting with themselves. I mean, it, it, it. the president had to intervene to get progressives to go along with the infrastructure plan. And then he couldn't get Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to go along with Build Back Better. And now Joe Manchin says, that's dead. It's not coming back. Look at inflation. And now they want to get rid of the gas tax. And Joe Manchin says, no way. The Democrats have divided themselves. It's actually kind of funny. I mean, I, you kind of knew this would happen. And, and one of the, the great bits here is you got to understand it's a blessing to the Republicans that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema stayed Democrat. Because then McConnell would be leader in the Senate. He'd be the majority leader in the Senate. He would control the Senate, and the Democrats would have a villain. The Democrats would have someone to blame, but they don't now. All they've got are themselves. They could not even find consensus on reconciliation for Build Back Better among Democrats. That's their problem, and they've demoralized their base. And the polling shows it. This polling that shows Joe Biden down in every state except four is not a polling of Republicans. It's a polling of registered voters. There are more registered Democrats than there are Republicans in this country. Biden has demoralized his own Democratic base. Donald Trump never got below 60% of strong support of Republicans. Joe Biden is at 31% strong support among Democrats. They're ready to move on and they can't. Now, things can certainly change between now and 2024, but if the feds raise rates to curb inflation, that's going to cause a recession. It always does. And the Republicans in Congress, they're not going to get blamed for a recession. This is Joe Biden's economy. The president always takes the credit. The president always gets the blame. It's not fair, but that's the way it works. It's going to work for him, too, in that regard. And it's going to be brutal, brutal. For them, it's going to be not good. The polling's starting to show it, and they can run as many gimmicks as they want. But when we get to Memorial Day and gas prices do a typical spike, and it's over $4 nationwide, there's going to be hell to pay for the Democrats, and they all know it. I wouldn't be surprised if we get to 40 Democratic retirements by the time we get to July. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull and Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bull and Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bull and Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great, and every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. 
The Democrats are the party that says government will make you smarter, taller, richer, and remove the crabgrass on your lawn. The Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work, and then they get elected to prove it. Anyway, no drug, not even alcohol, caused the fundamental ills of society. If you're looking for the source of our troubles, we shouldn't test people for drugs. We should test them for stupidity, ignorance, greed, and the love of power. You can't get rid of poverty by giving people money. There's only one basic human right, the right to do as you damn well please, and with it comes the only basic human duty, the duty to take the consequences. The U.S. dollar is an IOU from the Federal Reserve. It's a promissory note that doesn't actually promise anything. It's not backed by silver or gold. Those are all quotes by P.J. O'Rourke, the columnist. If you've never read the Parliament of Horrors, you should. It is a great introduction to politics. He is a brilliant, brilliant writer. He has passed away at the age of 74. Uh, One of those people who, when you get into politics as a teenager or in college, you read him. Uh, He was a contributing writer to the Weekly Standard. He's an H.L. Mencken Research Fellow at the Cato Institute, a regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, editor-in-chief of the magazine American Consequences, and his books, Parliament of Horrors and Give War a Chance, both reached number one. Um, He wrote a whole lot and a, a great many books, Republican Party Reptile, Uh, Parliament of Horrors is probably his most famous. How the hell did this happen? Uh, One of his later books about Trump, um, Holiday in Hell, Holiday in Heck, Enemies List during the Clinton era. I just, he was phenomenal guy, phenomenal writer. Hate to hear that he has passed away, but he has. Um, The phone number here, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Let me jump to the phones real quick. Ron, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, Got a comment quick question i've wondered for a long time was why do pelosi everybody gets these golden parachutes of retirements of having all the uh best healthcare and everything I mean, they're all going to become making more money after they leave than they know what to do with with the access to the phone numbers that they have i mean i mean right the only person i think that that should have a Retirement would be the president because he can't afford to go back into pub, 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 public life. But the rest of them, right. you know, the heck, the heck with uh, term limits. When they leave, they get no more money. Done. Over. Go get your own health care. Try and do the Obamacare or whatever. They should. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's one of the great bits of greed and grift in Congress that they go out and they be lobbyists. They sit out for a year. They get their congressional pension and then they leave. And, you know, I mean, they, they do get a pension over time. It does best. That's when you see a lot of them retire. They get a base salary. They get free airport parking. They get an on-site gym. They get uh, weekend insider trading restrictions. They get up to about a 239 days off a year. They get health care subsidies under Obamacare, a better retirement plan than what you and I are allowed to have. Uh, they can fly for free on taxpayer expense. They get death benefits. They get a, an allowance for their offices. They get all sorts of stuff, and then they retire. They sit out for a year, and then they become a lobbyist, and they make twice, three, or four times as much money. Some of them get really, really wealthy, book deals and the like. Um, yeah, we probably need to look at that and, and the insider trading stuff. But, you know, as, uh, my friend Kelly Leffler, the former senator, has pointed out they should be investigating the insider trading, not just banning the stocks. Uh, John Ossoff, the Democratic senator from Georgia, 
is one of those advocating hard for a ban on uh, stock individual stock purchases by members of Congress. It's a good idea. It's getting bipartisan support, uh, and we're going to need to proceed on this, uh, I think, to get this passed. All right, when we come back, we got to get to the crazy shooter who's an anti-gun activist. Welcome. Hello. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Activist Quintez Brown has been charged with an attempted shooting of a mayoral candidate. This, I realize, is superficially a local crime story. Quintez Brown has been charged with an attempted shooting of a mayoral hopeful in Louisville. The shooting candidate, or the the candidate who was shot was Craig Greenberg. Uh, The bullet went through his clothes. Now, Quintez Brown is a civil rights activist, a former intern and editorial columnist for the Courier-Journal in Louisville, Kentucky. Greenberg was not injured. One of the bullets struck his clothing. Police evacuated Greenberg, a Democrat, and his staff from the building and took uh, this guy into custody. He matched the description and had all the things that they were, uh, he was, uh, the, the suspect was holding a bag and a gun and, and a magazine. He's a University of Louisville student. He was the opinion editor for the Cardinal, the student newspaper. He was involved in racial justice protests in 2020. He disappeared last summer but was found safe after being missing for two weeks. In a statement after he was found, his family said, we're asking for privacy and would appreciate everyone's patience and support while we tend to the most immediate need, which is Quintez's physical, mental, and spiritual needs. He was an MLK scholar at the University of Louisville, founder of From Fields to Arena, a group committed to providing political education and violence prevention training to youth engaged in hip-hop and athletics. He recently announced he would run for the city council in Louisville, Kentucky. In his Twitter profile, he said, we have one scientific and correct solution, pan-Africanism. The total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. In a separate January 10th post, Brown wrote what he called a revolutionary love letter saying, quote, I am writing this to remind you how great you are. During our short stay on this glorious planet, we all have been collectively dehumanized and reduced to political talking points, black, white, liberal, conservative, Christian, criminal, boss, worker, activist, etc., We have been educated to use our minds narrowly and forced to identify ourselves with roles that trap us in a collective perpetual state of anxiety. We have forgotten how harmonious this thing called life is and have fallen victim to a vicious circle of pain and suffering. Many of our friends are suffering from a deep feeling of alienation. Quintez Brown is a Black Lives Matters activist and an anti-gun activist a progressive pan-African nationalist and socialist. And there are a lot of people on the right pointing all of those things out. What really needs to be pointed out is that Quintez Brown has mental health issues. 
And I don't know that we spend enough time in situations like this pointing this out. But I want to I want to just talk you off the roof my thinking on this. I, I am hesitant to say a Black Lives Matters activist or a pan-African nationalist or a socialist or an anti-gun activist decided to shoot at a mayoral hopeful. It is a local story, but it's being made national by a lot of people with agendas. So here is my agenda. It is to convey to you all my concerns about a growing rhetoric in this country that is fueling insanity. This kid clearly had mental health issues. James Hodgkinson clearly had mental health issues. James Hodgkinson decided to commit the mass assassination of Republican members of Congress and was thankfully a terrible shot like Quintez Brown. Then there's the case of Floyd Lee Corkins. Floyd Lee Corkins got on the Southern Poverty Law Center's website back when Obama was president, and he saw that the Family Research Council very near him was considered a hate group. Why? Because the Family Research Council is a Christian group that does not condone gay marriage, and he's gay. So Floyd Lee Corkins went out and bought them all a bunch of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Bought everybody that he could at the Family Research Council a bunch of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And then he went down to the Family Research Council office in Washington, D.C., where I have been many times, and tried to kill the security guard so he could get in and murder them and stuff their mouths with the Chick-fil-A sandwiches. The guard shot Floyd Lee Corkins, not fatally. Corkins is in jail for 20 years. He was stirred up by violent rhetoric from the left against Christians. James Hodgkinson was stirred up by violent rhetoric against Republicans by Democrats. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He, too, was a fan of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Quintus Brown was stirred up by the rhetoric of activists on the left for Black Lives Matters and the like. And he was mentally unstable. We keep hearing a lot about this concern in the media, FBI reports about the fringy right and how they're going to turn violent. My friend David French, and he is my friend, has written a piece about the radicalism in charismatic churches in the country, inviting QAnon people in, Mike Flynn in, to tie prophecies to Donald Trump, and, and he's worried about it. Yeah, I'm a little worried about it too. But we have this pattern on the left, and it goes back to the 50s and 60s of mental instability, violence, cult-like behavior, trying to blow up the Capitol. And, and everyone always would say, well, look at the right. Look at the Christians. Look at the right. I don't think we're looking enough at the left. And that's my concern. Listen, I say this in all seriousness. 
when you tell people we have a decade or less before we all die because of climate change and the Republicans are obstacles to passing the plan and they may come back to power, where do you think that leads people? You tell them, we we got less than 10 years or we're all going to die. The planet will be fine, but we'll be dead unless we pass the Green New Deal. And then you tell them, Joe Manchin won't help. Joe Manchin's in the pocket of the coal industry. We're all going to die. We've got less than 10 years. The clock is ticking. Joe Manchin's in the pocket of the energy industry. He's blocking it with the Democrats. And oh my gosh, the Republicans are going to take back over and it'll be the end of democracy as we know it. Where do you think that leaves people? Mentally. Where do you think that leaves people? You tell them, you tell them that we're all going to die. You tell them Republicans are the obstacle to democracy. The New York Times and the New Yorker and the uh, Oxford Book of Review of Books, they've all run favorably a review of a book by an environmental radical who believes that progressives need to start blowing up pipelines to save the planet. They need to learn how to build pipe bombs to blow up pipelines to save the planet. And they're reviewing this book favorably. Ezra Klein of the New York Times says his only concern is the backlash. But desperate times call for desperate measures, don't you know? I'm really worried about that. I want to play you some audio. It's a guy from the Grio. The Grio is a... a, I would call it a black nationalist website talking about the Super Bowl stunts and performance and Eminem taking the knee and the end racism being put on the field despite everything going on in the NFL. Listen to this. He successfully got applause for doing something that meant nothing. And I think that's kind of like the epitome of what the NFL has become, right? Like they, they scrawl and racism in the end zone. <laughs> But they will kick black people out of the league for talking about or pointing at the problems that racism gives America, right? So I, th- I think, like, he did it, but it doesn't mean anything. They have internalized Colin Kaepernick being kicked out of the NFL for protesting. He wasn't kicked out of the NFL for protesting. Colin Kaepernick is not in the top half of quarterbacks in, quarterbacks in the league. You bring in Garoppolo... They almost got there. Colin Kaepernick was not a good quarterback. And when they gave him a second chance, he pulled a publicity stunt. Didn't want to show off for the league, wanted to show off for the cameras and then claim racism. And yet people internalize and believe that he was discriminated. He wasn't discriminated against. He was a crap quarterback with a huge ego and he himself caused his own problems. No one else did. It was not racism. Yet they believe it. James Hodgkinson fundamentally believes Republicans were going to kill people by changing health care. 
Floyd Lee Corkins fundamentally believed the Family Research Council was a bigoted, hate-filled organization and its members needed to die and their mouths be stuffed with Chick-fil-A sandwiches. This is a pattern. And in the media, they fret about Republicans and Republican rhetoric. They fret about Donald Trump. They fret about Donald Trump calling Democrats the enemies. Yeah, there are crazies on the right. Let's not forget the guy down in Florida with the kidnapper van, the, the white van that had all the stickers over it, and he was headed up to New York and D.C. I, friends of mine, reporters, he had kill lists for them and their families, had found their addresses, wanted to go kill them and make them pay for being enemies of the Republic. It happens on the Republican side, too. But we're forced to focus on it. Whether it's real or not, the media covers it. What about the crazy on the left? What about the rhetoric on the left? What about the insanity on the left? Can we not focus on that? Quintez Brown, age 21, was charged with attempted murder and four counts of wanton endangerment after Craig Greenberg was shot at his campaign headquarters Monday morning in Butchertown, part of Louisville, the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department spokesman, spokeswoman Elizabeth Ruoff said on Monday, Brown's a civil rights activist, fired up by Black Lives Matters, fired up for civil rights, fired up for pan-African national socialism, whatever it is. And the rhetoric and the passions of the left led him to try to shoot a guy. And the guy, Quintez Brown, clearly has mental issues. He disappeared for two weeks last year. I just, I see this pattern over and over and over again of left-wing crazies turning violent. And it's always this focus on hypothetical right-wing violence. It's always hypothetical, and we got to worry about it. We got to worry about the crazies in the church. We got to worry about the crazy rhetoric from Donald Trump. We got to worry about the crazy QAnon. We got to worry about the white nationalists. We got to worry about the, the separatists. We got to worry about the Christian nationalists. We got to worry about the populist nationalists. We got to worry about the national populists. We got to worry about the conservatives. We got to worry about the Republicans. Got to worry about the military. Got to worry about the police. What about the people who are actually doing the shootings? The Floyd Lee Corkinses, the James Hodgkinsons, the Quintez Browns. We can't just say, oh, this is Black Lives Matters, and, and it's a Black Lives Matters activist. It, it's a social justice activist. It's an anti-gun activist who, who decided to do this. No, it was a crazy person. But he fed off the rhetoric of the left that the media constantly gives a pass to. He fed off the hate-filled rhetoric of the left that the media ignores and doesn't even know existed. Again, the Sarah Palin trial that came out, it wasn't malice that caused the New York Times to put the line in about Sarah Palin. It's just that James Hodgkinson, they were writing about him, and he was clearly of the left, a progressive Bernie Sanders supporter, and they needed to put in an example of right-wing violence, and they just never bothered to realize it was all made up and it wasn't, wasn't true, and they just threw it in because they just knew it probably was true. Had to do both sides. Had to highlight those Republicans, steer people to violence. You always want to highlight Republican violence. Rarely does it happen. And yet we've had multiple cases on the left where crazies were stirred up by hateful rhetoric. And everyone gives them a pass. And now think about the main line, the mainstream of that rhetoric. We have less than a decade before climate change is irreversible. That is pronounced and believed by the media and by Democratic mainstream politicians. And also, Republicans are a threat to democracy. And if they come back, you're not getting climate change. 
What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when people embrace that entire chain of logic that we're at the tipping point, we're not coming back, and if Republicans get elected, it's not getting done, and we're all going to die? What do you think is actually going to happen? Because I can tell you what I think is going to happen, and it's not going to be good. And yet again, the media will try to say, well, surely some Republican out there might be violent. Well, in news that I'm sure will perk you all up, wholesale prices are up 1% in January, up nearly record 9.7% over the past year. Uh, This is from CNBC. Core PPI rose 0.9%. Increases were at least double what Wall Street was estimating. Manufacturing in the New York region increased modestly in February, but was well below, was below expectations. You know the highest inflation in the country? Atlanta, Georgia. I'm not exactly sure why, but prices in Atlanta, Georgia have risen higher than anywhere else in the country um, and and done so more quickly, which is fascinating. But we've still got to deal with this inflation. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, says that Build Back Better will solve inflation. They always say that. I'm just not sure. Here's a clip from CNBC. Growing number of small business owners say they are passing higher costs onto their customers. The latest CNBC Survey Monkey Small Business Survey finds 47% of small business owners are raising prices up eight points from the fourth quarter. Another 32% say they will have to raise prices if inflation persists. And most think it will persist. 75% say inflation will still be a problem six months from now. And only 28% have confidence in the Fed's ability to tame it. Yeah, so the Fed is going to, next month, raise rates probably half a percent. And then they're expected already, even though they're raising half a percent, they're expected to raise another half percent to go up a whole percent, 100 basis points uh, by the end of the year, to try to stamp down. This is the most inflation we've seen since 1982. And here's the problem. Historically, when you follow Federal Reserve rate increases, they lead to a recession about a year later. So it's a problem for Joe Biden, and it's a problem for us being in a recession economically. Politically, it's good for the Republicans. Now, don't look now, but in Florida, they're starting to run stories about DeSantis headed into 2024. All of the polling coming out of Florida shows that DeSantis is going to win re-election. This far out, he's already over 50%, which for a lot of governors uh, is unheard of at this point. He beats all the Democrats thrown against him, and the Republican legislature is about to give him some massive political wins on which to campaign on. You put up DeSantis versus Biden in 2024, particularly given DeSantis's managing of the Florida economy, Biden, any Democrat, has a tough fight against him. Uh, These are not good times to be a Democrat. It's cyclical, but right now they're in the whirlwind. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.